Thank you, and thank you for coming back this afternoon. Appreciate so much you being here. We're very thankful to those of you that are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We're very honored that you've come our way. If you're looking for a church home, as we often say, please consider the work here. I want to say thank you to those of you that offered encouraging words from the lesson this morning. As I said earlier, that's a tough lesson. And there are a lot of folks in the religious world that need to hear that kind of preaching and teaching. And sadly, in, well, sadly, in some respects, I think we've gotten away from a very distinctive type of preaching and teaching. And so as a result of that, we're paying a heavy price. I had an elder tell me not long ago, he said, we are probably two generations in of people that are not as familiar with distinctive New Testament Christianity as they ought to be. And so I think that's true. My goal is to simply preach and teach the truth, nothing more, nothing less. In our lesson today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. The theme of our study this afternoon, by what authority are you doing these things? In Matthew chapter 21, we have an account of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that He is in the temple. And the chief priests and elders confronted Him as He was teaching. And they asked this very pointed question. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus then answered them by saying, I also will ask you a question, which if you answer me, I'll tell you about what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven or from men? The text says that they began, that is the religious leaders, began to reason among themselves. And they said, if we conclude that it's from heaven, he's going to say, why then didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from men, well, they were fearful. Because the multitudes counted John as a prophet. And so they said, we do not know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In the realm of religion, everything that we do has to have a thus saith the Lord behind it. Now I know that that in many respects is old-fashioned, archaic, and outdated in the hearts and minds of many people. Churches of Christ have for many, many years stood upon the platform of divine truth. When it's all said and done, what the church of Christ has to offer a lost and dying world is truth. That's the shingle that we, that we hang outside. Because you remember Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now Pontius Pilate asked many years ago, what is truth? And Jesus answered that in chapter 17, verse 17 of the Gospel of John. He said, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. 
Only the truth will set people free from sin. When we ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things? That's a fair question. I think when people ask us, by what authority do you engage in certain religious practices, that is a fair and honest question. And we ought to be able to give them a biblical answer. Now you remember Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 at verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When the Apostle Paul charged Timothy to preach the Word, that was inclusive of everything the Word included and was to exclude everything else. God's Word has the ability, the power, if you please, to change the hearts and lives of people. The gospel is intended to transform our thinking. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? That we're not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Romans chapter 4, Paul raised this question, what does the scripture say? I would invite people today to always ask the question, what does the Scripture say? To be like the Bereans of old who searched the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that are heard coincide with divine truth. Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to prove or test all things. The admonition is to hold fast to that which is good. That would imply some things are not good. The question then is, what is the standard or the litmus test by which I can determine what's authorized or unauthorized? Well, it has to go back to truth, doesn't it? The absolute truth of Almighty God. And understand that there is an objective body of truth. Jude talks about the faith once for all delivered. That's what we're talking about. The gospel system, the gospel of Christ. So when you look at that question posed to Jesus by the religious leaders of His day, that was a good question. Now, sadly, their motives and intent were not always pure. But when they asked, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? That was a good question. I encourage everyone in the church, outside the church of Christ. When you hear a religious message, you make sure that what you hear and what you practice coincides with that book. We can either be receptive to divine truth or we can reject it. Now you remember Jesus said on one occasion, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. Jesus said in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. That's why we preach and teach truth. 
I have no desire to waste anyone's time teaching and preaching something other than what's found in the Scriptures, the New Testament. Now, by way of application, we could go back to the Old Testament and we could ask the question, by what authority were the people in the days of Moses engaging in certain religious practices? In Exodus chapter 25, you remember God had already given the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 25 that God said in about verse 8 that they were to make a sanctuary for Him to dwell among them, that is, the tabernacle. And He said, I want you to make a sanctuary for Me, which I will show you of. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings. And then listen to what He said. Just so you shall make it. The exactness of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, that ark was 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. They were to honor what God had said concerning the making of that ark. In chapter 25, God instructed them to place rings on the sides of the ark, and then staves would be placed through those rings so that certain divinely authorized people could transport that ark. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 at verse 8, Moses said on behalf of God that he had separated the tribe of Levi that they might stand before him and minister before him. They had priestly responsibilities, didn't they? In Numbers chapter 7, you have three distinct classes of Levites mentioned. The sons of Gershom, and then the sons of Merari. To those two classes of Levites, God gave oxen and carts. There was a third class, the Kohathites, and the record says that God did not give them oxen, nor did He provide them with carts. Well, why? Because the Levites had the responsibility of bearing the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. So you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and you remember during the days of David the king, they decided to transport the ark of Almighty God and they placed it on a new cart. Problem number one. In violation of what God had already said back in Numbers chapter 7. So when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, the Bible says that Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark. The oxen stumbled. I don't have any doubt in my mind that 
Uzzah thought he was doing the right thing. But the Bible says that God smote him there for his error. Some translations, the footnote says, for his irreverence. Now that caused a lot of pain to David the king. You turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, and now you have a commentary on the actions of the Israelite people in the transportation of the ark. And you remember God said to the people in that day. Now, the Levites had the responsibility of transporting that ark. David and the children of Israel violated the authoritative word of God. Did David get the message? David said, none ought to bear the ark but the Levites. The reason Uzzah was stricken is because they did not proper, some translations say, the due order. And the idea is they failed to honor the authoritative word of Almighty God. That's just an example of why it is so important to ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things? When Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire to the Lord, The Bible says that God struck those two young men dead. Well, why? Because they failed to honor the authority of the Word of God. Now, the Bible says that those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. What then is the application of, to those of us who live under the law of Christ. Well, we have to understand that for everything we do in the realm of religion, there has to be a thus saith the Lord behind it. Let me just ask this question. If somebody were to ask you this week at work, or let's just say maybe you're talking to someone in the neighborhood, And they were to ask you, by what authority are you a member of the church of Christ? Could you give them a biblical answer? And let's just suppose that they're not a member of the Lord's church. We could take it a step further and say that they are a member of one of the mainline denominations in town. Would it be wrong for us to ask them, by what authority are you a member of the church that you belong to. Would that be fair? Well, what's my point? I can go to the New Testament and I can show you why I am a member of the Church of Christ. Not Church of Christ denomination. But rather, I can show you why I am a member of the Church, as I said earlier, that was built by Jesus bought by Jesus and belongs to Jesus. And if it was built by Him, bought by Him and belongs to Him, it would only stand to reason that it would wear His name. Not the name of a man, nor of the name of a mountain or city or anything else. But rather, I can read in scriptures of the churches of Christ in Romans 16, 16, 
The church of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. I can read about the church of the living God in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I can read about the church. And that term is found about 95 times in the American Standard Version of the Bible, that being the 1901 edition. Well, what did I do to become a member of the church of Christ? To those who are in the denominational world, would it be wrong for me to say, by what authority are you a Christian? What did you do to become a child of God? Now, we say this may be elementary, but obviously for some it's not. My fear is that even many within the church don't understand the distinctive nature of the body of Christ. We're not a denomination. The church of Christ is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. There were no denominations in the first century. They came 14 to 1500 years later. They are the Johnny-come-latelys. On Pentecost Day, Peter and the apostles were preaching an inspired message. The Bible says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus told the apostles that they would be the recipients of the Holy Spirit and He would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. On Pentecost Day, the Bible says that they were cut, pricked in their heart. And you remember, they cried out and asked Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now just drive a peg there for a minute. When Jesus promised to build the church in Matthew 16, do you remember in verse 19, He said to the apostles, and here He's speaking to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Did they have an authoritative message to deliver to those on Pentecost Day? Yes or no? They did. So when Peter was asked that question along with the other apostles, don't you find it strange that in light of what some teach today and what some practice today, When they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't say to those people, where'd you ever get the idea you've got to do something? You ever hear that today? You ever hear people talk about there's nothing you can do? Well, that that didn't resonate with Peter. Obviously, he didn't get that memo because Peter said, repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That means if we want to be a member of the church, the kingdom of God, if we want to enjoy all spiritual blessings, then we have to do what was prescribed in the first century by the apostles. They were God's ambassadors, His spokesmen. So in Acts 2.42, when the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, they were following the teaching of the Lord. So I ask again, by what authority are you a member of the church of Christ?
If someone has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, repented of sins, confessed His name, and then been buried with Christ in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, they are not a New Testament Christian. No ifs, no buts, no think so, maybe so. There's only one way to become a child of God. Not many ways, one way. So if our neighbors in the religious world say that they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart, and then they recited the sinner's prayer, are they a Christian based upon what the Bible teaches? No. And many of us have watched on television. We have watched and observed denominational preachers preaching literally to thousands upon thousands of people in stadiums. When the invitation is given, Many, many people have flocked down to the front row. And you know what they've done? They've accepted the Lord Jesus into their heart. They've recited the sinner's prayer. Were they lost before they got there? Paul said, all sin comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Now here's the hard, hard truth of the matter. They were just as lost when they left than when they got there. Lost. Why? Because there's not a preacher in the world today that has the authority to tell someone to do something other than what the Bible teaches. Now that's it. So we have to understand that. We can't concede divine truth. I want to get along with people. Personally, I really don't like conflict. But I understand that as a preacher of the gospel, I am thrust into an arena wherein truth matters. So when it comes to the truth of Almighty God, whether people are in the church or outside the church, when people begin to preach, teach, propagate something other than that which is found in the authoritative Word of God, my sword is drawn. And we will go to battle. And I will not back down. And we need to have that same attitude. Because every one of us are servants of the Lord. We are all ministers of the Lord. You have the responsibility to teach people the gospel of Christ. One of the reasons why I believe the church has not grown in recent years is because a lot of the preaching and teaching that has been done in our houses all across the brotherhood, the lessons that have been preached could be preached in any denomination in town. There's nothing distinctive. There's nothing that sets it apart. And so folks come in and they think, well, you know what, I'm okay. Now look, either truth matters or it doesn't. I would rather offend someone or hurt someone than for that person to be lost. Now look, if you don't like me as the mess, that's fine. But you have to decide whether or not you're going to get on board with the message of the gospel of Christ. 
You see, there are a lot, there's a lot of non-distinctive preaching and teaching going on in our brotherhood. And we've got folks today that quite frankly, they think the Church of Christ is just another denomination. And that's how it's presented. When it comes to the realm of worship, by what authority do you partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week? I'm reading Acts chapter 20, verse 7, where the apostles, or rather the apostle Paul and those who were in Troas, I can read where they observed this memorial feast. You ever heard people today say, well, the kingdom of God is still, into the, it's still in the future? In their minds, they have the idea that when Jesus came to earth, He failed in His efforts to establish the kingdom, and so parenthetically, God set up what's called the church age. Matthew 16, 18, and 19, the church and the kingdom are one and the same. Well, if the kingdom of God has not yet arrived, there is not a person on earth that has the authority to partake of the Lord's Supper. Because in Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus said, I will no longer partake of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So if the kingdom hasn't come, you nor I have the, we have, neither, neither you nor I can partake of the Lord's Supper because we're still waiting. But the fact of the matter is, the kingdom is here. These are just pertinent questions that have to be asked. We partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week because that's what the apostles and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ directed. Well, what about in the realm of singing praise to God? There are a lot of folks today. They don't have a problem using an instrument in worship to God. Oftentimes, if asked, why is it that you use an instrument, they'll race back to the Psalms. Number one, to understand there's a difference of covenant there. We're not living under that old law. Rather, we are under the law of Christ. It's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1, verse 25. Now, there are some folks in churches of Christ today that have decided that the instrument ought to be used in their worship to God. Do I have the responsibility or the right to ask them, by what authority are you using that instrument? I saw a picture just the other day of a very well-known brother in Churches of Christ. If I called his name, you'd know exactly who I'm talking about. He was standing before a group of people, and to his side was a guitar. There's no authority for that. Am I convinced that there is no way under heaven that I can use an instrument in praise to God? The answer is yes unequivocally. In Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, verse 16, the Bible says we're to sing. 
When God separated the tribe of Levi to engage in priestly duties, did God have to turn to the tribe of Judah and say, now look, you can't engage in priestly duties? Or to the tribe of Simeon? No, when God says, this is what you do, that excludes everything else. Now there are some congregations among us. They have rolled the instrument in in violation of the New Testament and there is not a person on earth today that can prove that there is any authority to use the instrument. Now you may think in your heart of hearts that it's not a big deal. Well, let me tell you what, if it's not a big deal, go back and read about Nadab and Abihu. Go back and read about Uzzah. When people say it's not that big a deal, you know what that says? It says you do not know the Bible. Because if you knew the Bible, you would stand for the truth of Almighty God. No authority for that. Not a lick. There are brethren today, they're now employing women to teach in mixed Bible classes, to lead public prayer, to wait on the Lord's table. Any authority for that? Would it be wrong for me to ask the question, by what authority are you using women in that capacity? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said, that God would have all men to be saved, anthropos, humankind, male and female. In verse 8, though, he said, I will therefore that men, male only, pray lifting up holy hands. Paul went on to say, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence or subjection. Does a woman have the right to stand before the assembly and lead? The answer, no. And those who are doing so are in violation of the Word of Almighty God. There's a church in Brentwood, Tennessee. Large congregation. One of their elders who also teaches at Lipscomb. This ought to tell you where Lipscomb is today, spiritually speaking. One of their elders was trying to defend the practice that they were in the process of inaugurating. They were in the process of ordaining women elders. By what authority? Any authority for that? It's hard for me to get around 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul said that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Now I don't know what kind of fancy footwork some people are trying to do in terms of hermeneutics. But the fact of the matter is there is not a female on earth that is qualified to serve as an elder, bishop, pastor in the church. Now we're talking about a man-made church, do whatever you want. If it's a man-made church, it's up to whatever they want to do. But we're not talking about a man-made church. We're talking about the church that was bought and built by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Any authority for a woman to serve as a deacon? What about Phoebe? 
The Bible says she was a deaconess. That word diakonos translated servant. She was just a servant. She wasn't a special servant. Why? Because those who serve as deacons, they have to be the husband of one wife. In some ways, it's just silly that we even have to talk about this stuff. We ought to know this stuff. But there are a lot of people that don't. And sadly, many in the church don't. We've got to go back and start preaching and teaching the fundamentals of the faith, the ABCs of Christianity. The question asked to Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? We lay by in store every first day of the week, don't we? And yet there are brethren today that will have bake sales, cake sales, and everything else trying to raise money to fund the work of the church. There's no authority for that. Listen, once you leave the authority of Jesus Christ, there is no shoreline. Once you start digressing from the Word of God, how are you going to come back and say, now wait a minute, we can't do that? Because the Bible says that you can't do that. Now Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All right, Jesus is in heaven. We're on earth. How then is He going to govern His church? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said, But if I tarry long, that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God. And Paul said he wrote these things for that very purpose. I can know whether I have authority in the realm of religion because all I have to do is open the Bible. Now, there are a lot of churches, quote-unquote, that are being governed by manuals of faith, creeds, doctrines that have originated in the hearts and minds of men. But when they ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? What many creed books opened on, on the Day of Judgment? No manuals of faith. Not going to be what the majority thought going to be the Word of God. I know there are folks that say, well, you know, that's just old-fashioned. You're way too conservative. I have no desire to go to the extreme right. I have no desire to go to the extreme left. What I want to do is follow the teaching of the Bible. Because ultimately, that's what's going to judge us. So every Everything that we do, we ought to have the ability to give book, chapter, and verse. And if we can't, we need to study. Don't believe what you believe because that's what your folks believe. Make your faith your own. Don't stand, don't stand tugging at their coattails, but you've got to have conviction in your heart of hearts. And you've got to be willing to come down on divine truth. Because without truth, we're nothing. Thank you for being here this afternoon. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, 
When Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that simply was an, an acknowledgement that they were to do so based upon the authoritative word of Christ. The passage read a moment ago, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means do it by His authority. Whatever we preach, whatever we practice, needs to be found in this book. As Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you have not been baptized into Christ, why not do that today? Obey the gospel so that God can add you to the church and then be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. Now it might be that you're here today. Your life's out of harmony with the will of God and you'd like to make things right. You'd like the prayers of the church. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.